it's all equally impressive. You put tools in these people's hands and what they do with them is just awesome. You know, you think you know an application and next thing you know, there's 12 more that you didn't even think of. Hello there, Internet, and welcome to the 3D Prince Authority podcast. This is a place where we come together to have a transparent and no BS conversation about the world of 3D printing and technology. My name is Adam Fosnott, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I have been fascinated by 3D printing for as long as I can remember. Let's get started. All right, uh, one thing that I'd like to start with, um, if you could just introduce yourself and Robos to the audience. Sure. So my name is Peter Rowland, and I am the North American Channel Director here at Robos. My main responsibility is to build our reseller network um, and also our 3D parts fulfillment network uh, in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico. Um, so Robos is a high-end 3D printer OEM. Really, we specialize in advanced materials, a high-temp polymer such as PEAK, composites such as carbon PEAK and carbon PA, uh, and really in the most extreme applications, um, really on, on the high end of the spectrum, not, not really that ubiquitous application field that you're, you're probably used to seeing. Uh, we were started in 2015 by our founder in Italy, so we're an Italian company. Although we did move as of this year, officially to Houston, Texas as well. So we have uh, essentially HQ2 here in Houston, uh, full-blown operations and uh, machines operational as well. So it's really an impressive uh, facility. Nice awesome. big, Nice big warehouse. Awesome. Um, I'm so excited to dive into kind of all of those things. Um, but before we, we get there, um, could you introduce, uh, kind of share something about yourself outside of your work with the audience so they can get to know you better? There is nothing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, think, I think naturally one of the most interesting things about me is something I have no control over because um, I'm not very inherently interesting, Adam. Uh, <laughs> but something most people don't know is I was actually born in Anchorage, Alaska. Okay. So you could could say that you know somebody from Anchorage, Alaska, from Alaska in general. You know, um, I don't think I've ever met someone from Alaska, so this is a first for me. <laughs> that's it. AK. Um, I wish I could tell you that I, I remember it, but I, I wasn't really good at paying attention back then. I was about a year old. Um, but besides that, you know, I'm, I'm married. I have two beautiful daughters. Uh, I live in Connecticut. Okay. Uh, that's where I'm calling from now. And uh, besides that, yeah, just... Staying active, you know, being outside, uh, hiking, running, things like that. Okay. Pretty, awesome. pretty mundane. Pretty mundane. I, uh, I like hiking too. Um, yeah. It's really nice. And uh, um, I don't know how Connecticut is, but I know in New York we have the, the Adirondacks, which are just beautiful in so many places to, to explore up there. So we get a nice uh, swatch of the Appalachian Trail comes through here on the New York border. Okay. Uh, which is just gorgeous, you know, and uh, my brother and I have, have taken taken pieces of it away, you know, we've, we've tried to chip away at it, uh, sometimes 30 miles at a time, sometimes, you know, 10, depending on how motivated we are at the time. <laughs> sure, sure. And what our, uh, what our uh, you know, hydration level is for the last 72 hours. Definitely. <laughs> so... I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, and it seems like you have quite a history working with 3D printing and also uh, the 3D design side of things. Um, 
So if it's okay with you, I kind of wanted to start there. Yeah. Um, because I think there's a lot that, especially the hobby space, can learn from all of your experience. It, it's a great starting point, and, and it's funny because where I started in 3D printing is, is very much not where I am now, right? Okay. Um, and, and most of my experience actually is in the construction and architecture technology space. Okay. 3D printing came about towards the end of that experience. Um, I was lucky enough to be uh, really at a company for a very long time, uh, serving the, te the uh, technology sector of the construction um, industry, mostly with proprietary software. Uh, services and things like that. And we got into 3D printing towards the end of that, placing equipment at architects' locations. And they were using it for, you know, massing models and concept models, feasibility studies, um, you know, form studies, planning, and then finally, presentation models, certainly when it came down to uh, their final presentation or their final iteration of the, of the building. Um, you know, it's it, it's a pretty good combination because every building is technically a prototype, right? So you're you're going through so many different iterations, and and just like most things, you have to convey your design intent in in every way you can. Three D printing was a very good resource for doing so in, in a tactile way. Uh, but all the different things that that I think you and I at this point now uh, judge three D printing on are just simply not important to architects, right? They, they just want to look nice. Um, and I shouldn't diminish it. You know, it's still very important that things are printed properly and, and uh, color is a factor at times. They, they also love things to be very bright white. You know, sometimes they don't, they, they, they don't care about the technology as much as the, the whiteness of it, um, especially when it's overlaid on top of existing conditions. So. My first introduction was was certainly on the hobby side, and then into the you know dimensions and things like that. Um, you know, we found then when when we were able to to place equipment, it, it became actually a, a bit of a profit center for some of these architects because you know they incorporate that in their deliverable as well. Um, and I think the most exciting things that we've seen on the on the uh, full-blown presentation model side is a combination of conventional model making and 3D printing components, uh, even multiple technologies, uh, FDM, Polyjet, all combined into one beautiful model uh, to then submit. We've seen some really gorgeous models. Gotcha. That's really yeah. cool. The architecture side of things is kind of an odd niche from what I've seen. I've printed some architecture models. Um, and it's funny you bring up the color white because I've run into a handful of situations where uh, a customer will get really picky about two different parts and they look exactly the same to me, but he's convinced that the white is different yeah. um, and it, it has to be fixed. <laughs> it's so amusing it's, to it's me. true that, you know, this, <laughs> these, these designs are, they're so passionate about them and it's 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 so difficult to represent their their intent um, in any other way besides you know building it. So when you when you do when you do have to settle for something else, they're pretty particular. <laughs> yeah, understandably. Um, so you spent a long time. How long were you involved with uh, kind of that architecture space, both on the software, um, moving into three D printing? Oh, so my whole career was really that um, okay. for, for 20 years easily, bid, bid management software, again, um, equipment placement, 2D and 3D. Okay. 
bid management software, plan, plan rooms, virtual plan rooms. Um, at, towards the end of that part of my career, uh, I was lucky enough to be in a, in a technology leadership role where, where we could essentially kind of choose what we wanted to uh, uh, represent okay. and what services we wanted to offer. So what we did was 3D printing, but also uh, virtual reality okay. and laser scanning, which is something still pretty passionate about today. And then software, you know, uh, 2D uh, PDF manipulation and, and document um, storage and retrieval and uh, construction management software type software. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you kind of were exposed to a lot of different technologies all in the same vein of... Um, yeah, we, we had service bureaus as well. So we were able to use, again, PolyJet, CJP, uh, and certainly FDM. Okay, cool. Um, so then you've transitioned into a role at Robos. Um, well, prior to, so prior to Robos, I actually transitioned to a role uh, at the largest reseller of the largest 3D printer OEM uh, in okay. the world. A um, bit of a competitor to CAD Dimensions, so you, you'd, you'd probably know him. Um, okay. Although th through multiple acquisitions, the name changed. Sure. Um, so that was my, my first main entry point into pure the pure 3D printing world, right, um, okay. on the VAR side. So we, we were, we were uh, you know, again, probably the largest at the end of the acquisition periods. We were the largest in the world uh, at, at that point. Uh, so that's, that was the bridge that connected me from that experience to Robos. Okay, gotcha. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a couple of years in that setting. Okay, working for the largest distributor of industrial level 3D printing equipment, Correct. does that make sense? That is. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Same thing CAD Dimensions did, yeah. Sure, sure. Um, so that got you more in-depth with 3D right. printing, and then you moved over to Robos. More in-depth with 3D printing and also the manufacturing sector in general. You know, There are a lot of parallels uh, between the two industries. Um, the passion, the talent, it's all so impressive. Uh, and, and the subsequent talent on, on the side of those who, who uh, serve, right, um, on our side, uh, still impressive. It's all equally impressive. You put tools in these people's hands, and what they do with them is just awesome. You know, you think you know an application, and next thing you know, there's 12 more that you didn't even think of. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I can relate walking into a customer's building, and there's just 3D printed fixtures everywhere. Yep. Um, with with a ton of creativity and thought behind how they were designed and implemented. Um, so during your experience um, at the the distributor, um, one thing that was really eye opening for me um, was just how uh, the buying process worked. Um, yep. So in the hobby space, you know, you just go on Amazon, you just go directly to a, a manufacturer's yep. website, and you just buy when you want you look at some reviews online and you make an informed choice um if you Low want risk. to yeah. yes if you want to to buy an industrial 3d printer what does that process look like yeah you know that's really where i i, I felt the most comfortable adam you know it, first first being involved and and certainly i was in a leadership role and, and i'm comfortable in a leadership role so um, I do feel like with the immense talent I had around me, uh, the actual subject matter was, was less important okay. to be an expert at. Although that came, um, the, the leadership aspect and then the business um, acumen to, to 
solve the exact thing you just mentioned is, is really where I came from. I was, I was in the buyer's seat for quite a while, uh, working okay. for a public company, director of operations, you know, managed eight locations, bought, you know, had to buy equipment for all these locations, uh, move, move locations, and just make these decisions myself and with my team. So speaking that language is something I'm really comfortable with. And really, every place I've gone, uh, from the last place to even here at Robo's, speaking the ROI language and you know developing pro formas to, to really make that buying decision easier is probably the most critical part. You know, the the, the technology is is sound, right? It's almost the easy part to say, hey, you know, look at this part. Does this solve your need? Yes, great. That doesn't mean they're going to buy tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's the easy part. Now. I say it's easy because I didn't put the effort into developing the technology. I was lucky enough that Robo's already did that and, and did, did a great job at it. But what we have to do, the hard part, is making the business case. You know, okay. How many of these or things like this justify the cost of the equipment? So one of the things that Robo's uh, that we're doing here is we understand that you know, using peak, using carbon P, carbon PA, you know, these advanced materials maybe don't have daily applications, at least not, not as, as often as we would think. So we are developing a, a 3D parts fulfillment uh, network as well, right? Digital supply chain, basically, of partners that have our equipment and that, you know, we feed basically this work because we know the market needs parts, not necessarily needs equipment and parts, so that's one way we're building the, the business case is just fulfilling orders and, and monitoring, right? And understanding how much use is happening and when does it make sense now with a clear historical record of the orders, hey, now it makes sense. Hey there, it's Adam. Could you do me a favor? If you are enjoying this podcast, could you rate it five stars wherever you happen to be listening? It's totally free of charge and through the magic of internet algorithms, it will help more people hear the podcast. Thanks. Uh, the other way is, again, that, that in-depth ROI analysis. We, we, we go through what your current cost is, including the time it takes, the time away from your conventional use of your equipment, uh, labor, and even time to market. You know, all these different factors. And we just plug them in. We plug them into a calculator and say, hey, uh, this does make sense. This breaks even halfway through your depreciation. You know, or no, this doesn't make sense. We need three or four more applications to justify it, right? So these are the things we go through. To be honest, it's probably the most uh, fun part of, of, the, of the dialogue I have because that's the, the, the hardest thing in 3D printing is that everybody's interested. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're in sales and in a sales leadership role and you're trying to get your teams to you know, uh, uh, get to the next step, typically interest is a hurdle you have to cross, right? But everybody's interested with 3D printing. It's just inherently interesting. Everyone wants more information. Everyone wants a price quote. Okay. Everyone wants to know what the speeds and feeds are, what the resolution is, you know. And, and what happens is we kind of go through this involuntary checklist of this feature, that feature. But even if, you know, uh, a certain solution doesn't meet the requirements or the criteria that you're, that you're discussing, or does, that doesn't mean a purchase will or will not happen. The financial justification has to be a part of the dialogue. It's a heavy emphasis of ours. Okay, cool. I 
can tell by my 10 minute answer that I, I like it a lot. Yeah, no, I'm I'm so happy that you went into kind of that level of detail because again, I think it's something that a lot of people don't understand. Um, yeah. Where again, if I'm buying a printer for my home because I want one, feeds, speeds, materials. When I say feeds and speeds, for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, um, how fast does the printer go? Um, what's the diameter of the nozzle? What layer height can you print? Kind of all of those details are things that I'm probably going to look at and also look at price. Um, but when a business is purchasing industrial equipment, it's a lot different where, from from what you're saying, you're you're almost just plugging numbers into a spreadsheet and doing a an analysis of what they're doing today versus what they could be doing with 3D printing. Right. And and we certainly get to the technology. We we get to the speeds, we get to the resolution, we get to the accuracy. So some of the most exciting things about our technology are those aspects. But we want to make sure that when we make those points and and they're received, it also still makes business sense. We're not out here trying to impress people into, you know, people don't buy things because they're impressed, right? Um, we want to make sure that there's a combination of both. We can we can actually meet the need, we can, we can actually meet the success criteria of the part, but we also have the financial justification. So it's definitely both. Uh, I feel like sometimes in 3D printing, because it's so amazing, right? It's, it's just so interesting. There's such great things you can do. Um, we tend to get lost in, in that dialogue, right? We tend to lead with parts. We tend to lead with, you know, again, tech specs. Um, whereas I'd rather have a conversation about you, your company, you know, what are you doing now? Uh, how's business, right? Did you, did you achieve your goals? And if not, where'd you fall short? You know, mm -hmm. if it's, if it's labor, well, that, that makes the conversation about how long it takes to make a part a little more relevant. Right. Okay. And so when you look at Robos, they start in Italy. Yep. Um, and from what I can tell, um, having not used it personally, they make pretty good equipment, but they haven't really been growing in the United States, I guess, until just recently. Can you kind of speak to what it's like working for a company headquartered? Um, in Europe and what it's like to kind of be a part of bringing that company to the U.S. It's exciting. You know, it's definitely a big difference um, where I've come from. I'm, I'm, I'm used to having uh, just a ton of staff, ton of resources, you know, a ton of um, delegating ability. Uh, this is equally fulfilling because they get it, right? They don't have a fully formed idea, hey, just come here and execute our plan. They're extremely open-minded. They're extremely versatile. And because we're pretty small, and, and again, new in this market, uh, we're able to be flexible. We're able to react a lot faster. And more importantly, and I think one of the main reasons why I came here, and by the way, I'm only here for less than two months. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I'm still you know, getting, getting, getting my legs under me. But we're able to focus so much on the application and on the industries that we feel we serve best. Aerospace, oil and gas, you know, motorsports. We're not trying to be everything to everyone. 
we're not trying to be a solve all here. We we know where we fit, and we know where peak is is most applicable. You know, we're not trying to to fit peak into every scenario either, right? Those who use peak now, they know how difficult it is. They know how expensive it is. We know we can solve those problems, right? It's pretty rare in 3D printing that you can even begin to have a material-to-material cost discussion. Okay. That's, that, that's typically not a part of our dialogue, right, in, in, in a conventional sense. You're never going to say an ABS part that's 3D printed is cheaper than an ABS part that's, that's injection molded, right? Right. It's just never going to be something that you talk about. It's negligible. You, you talk about low volume, high customization. You know, you talk about things that are not able to be manufactured because they're different geometries. You talk about other things, right? Sure. With Peak, you can talk about the material savings with confidence. Can you? You can because it's so expensive. And, you know, when you, when you buy a billet and, and half of it's or 80% is on the ground, you know, they're paying for all of that material. And it's expensive. So Mm -hmm. when we say that the waste factor of our parts is obviously because it's additive, not subtractive, is almost gone, that's a real dollar figure for them. Because it's a sunken cost at this point, not to mention all of the awful things I've heard even recently that you have to do with Peak, such as using liquid nitrogen to stabilize it, you know, before you machine it. It, It's it's a pretty, pretty tough material to work with, right? Okay. So... We can have these conversations in terms that we're not that I'm not typically used to when it comes to the material savings and when it comes to the, the value proposition of the actual part. Okay, gotcha. Um, this is really interesting to me because this is the first time I'm hearing a material to material comparison when it comes to 3D printing. Um, so when people are trying to machine peak, can you speak to some of those those challenges? Well, again, the cost, uh, but also because it's it's so difficult to work with, and you know, the the, the liquid nitrogen is is meant to stabilize the you know the the, the temperature so that doesn't melt incorrectly okay. based on the friction of the of the head and things like that. Um, but again, like aluminum, like anything else, right? You're paying for the whole billet and you're not using it all. And it's just considered a sunken cost, and that's something that we could actually remove from the equation. Right. And so you mentioned a few different industries, oil and gas, aerospace, automotive. Um, What are you doing for those industries? Is it prototypes? Is it low-volume production? Is it fixtures? What does that look like? It's low volume production. We're actually doing a lot of end use parts, you know, for oil and gas in particular. Uh, we're okay. actually doing some downhole applications, right? Things that actually are used because of the chemical resistance properties of peak. You can use it, you know, actually in, in field, um, you know, brackets, gaskets. We use, do, do a lot of TPU as well uh, on okay. the gasket side. Um, you know, the, the aerospace applications, we also obviously work with Ultim. So that's, that's certified for aerospace. Uh, Lexan, you know, very strong material as well. So we we have a lot of um, end-use parts that we are able to do. Um, Housings, certainly, for motorsports. Tubes, polypropylene tubes uh, as well, because of the the high resistance to chemical and and water. Okay. A lot of really, really neat applications like that. We're we're doing something now, which we just had a phenomenal call about. And I just posted something actually just today uh, with the University of Colorado. 
for something called CubeSats. So very small satellites okay. that are launched into space. In this case, it's the ionosphere. So just, just below space. And they're basically what they sound like. They're very small cube satellites. Um, they're, they're relatively inexpensive. And they're being launched in space to be used for monitoring uh, electromagnetic waves and things like that. Interference with lightning as it relates to, you know, antennas and radios and things like that. Uh, I'm not articulating the application well enough, but they're up there and they're monitoring things. Um, so what we, what we developed for them or what we're in partnership developing for them in peak are the housings for the actual sensors at the end of the satellite. Now, okay. so keep in mind what has to happen there, right? There's an extreme high temperature when the sun is, is when the earth is in the, the sun part of the orbit. And then mm -hmm. there's an extreme low temperature when it's on the other side, right? So that okay. temperature deviation needs to, needs to be accounted for and it has to have a material that could accommodate that. Not to mention radiation and, you know, just the, uh, the temperature to, to be, to be uh, in that part of the atmosphere. Yeah. And so it sounds a lot like peak is kind of your guys' main focus. Is that accurate? Do you have a question about 3D printing? If so, I would love to answer it. Feel free to leave any questions in the comments down below or go to 3dprintauthority.com slash forms to submit your question. Thanks. It is peak and carbon peak, which is a composite. You know, we, we certainly do work with uh, carbon PA as well. Okay. And your typical nylons and, and um, you know, polypropylene again, ABS, um, functional nylon. Uh, it's just the, the engineering of, of these machines is so advanced. By all means, you could use it for those other materials, but it's just the engineering is meant for dealing with these, these harder to work with materials and the tolerances as well. You know, when, okay. when we say 10 micron tolerance um, because of our patented beltless system, it's, it's pretty impressive in, in added manufacturing terminology. But when we speak to people who, you know, work with machine tools, they say, yeah, it, it better be 10 microns. We're not even having a conversation if it's not, you know. <laughs> so that's the level of engineering that we're dealing with. And it's certainly more conducive to the, to the higher temp um, polymers. Okay. Um, you mentioned a beltless system. Yep. What's, what's that all about? Because most FDM 3D printers do use belts right so one of the the the, the ways <coughs> one of the founding elements <clears throat> actually in 2015 when when our uh, our founder and ceo alessio uh invented you know this this equipment it was really based on that that principle the beltless the rack and pinion gantry uh for the purpose of just having a more industrial stronger and more accurate uh, gantry Right. And, and right now, our flagship, which I was just in Houston and I had the pleasure of seeing in person, you've been around 3D printers, I'm sure, a ton. They move, right? Yes. SDM, they move. <laughs> Adam, I'm telling you, these things don't budge. They, they really? Had to tell, they, they had to tell me that it was printing and I didn't believe them. I had to go up and look at it. Okay. Um, these things are completely bomb-proof. And it's, it's intended, you know, again, for the accuracy for the removal of variation to be able to work with these with these materials because they're so you know they're just they're just temperamental mm -hmm. so you have to remove all variables that you can and it's it's movement it's vibration it's the uh, incoming pneumatics are perfectly dried through a filter 
through you know silica through all this other you know um, uh, engineering even the filament itself is super dried it's in a housing uh, a high temp filament dryer housing okay because peak is susceptible prior to extrusion to absorbing moisture from the atmosphere much like nylons right much okay. like much like the polyamides um, so we have a, a system that heats it the filament before it's extruded to the point where the molecules can separate just enough to allow the water to evacuate and then the air system actually pushes that moisture that that has been released into the center of the spool and then subsequently out you know this is the level of detail <laughs> that you have to deal with when you're working with peak you know it's very very temperamental yeah no that's a that's really really cool i i think filament moisture is one of those challenges that a lot of times you don't see in a press release, right? Um, you can talk about like, oh, we just have this amazing material and it's super, super strong. It's really stiff. We're sending it into space. Uh, but some of those technical challenges can can get overlooked and moisture is is definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, well, that's where we're at now in this industry, right? You know, there was a beginning where let's say it's almost like a marathon runner right like mm -hmm. you, you just want to you just want to pass the finish line you just want to qualify you just want to be in the race uh well we're at elite status now where we're shaving seconds off of our of our pace time right mm -hmm. we're we're we're, di we're dialing this in so specifically where we're not just trying to finish the race we're trying to, to win the race right and it takes those little tiny incremental improvements and those that reduction of variation to be in that elite status and, you know, the, the, the U-curve that we currently see with, with PLA and ABS and things like that, that's just the pack. That's the middle of the pack. That's just mm -hmm. people who, you know, uh, weekend warriors like me, right? <laughs> um, but when it comes to the elite end of it, you know, that, that those advanced materials, you have to get to that point where you're, you're dealing with so many little nuances of the process or you'll have some failures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. We're, we're at the point in the progression of FDM printing where PLA and ABS, you know, anyone can do that at home, right? Yeah. Or or if you're not doing it at home and you're doing it as a business, you can do it. Or, for, or behind you on a podcast. Right. <laughs> or or right behind me while we're, is, while we're is, talking. Is that that uh, conveyor belt system? Yeah, so this is the, the Power Belt Zero. Um, hmm. I'm just running some prototype parts on it. Um, for uh for new products that i'm working on for power and it's 3d infinity infinity build basically it just keeps on going and keeps on moving exactly so it's pretty clever we print at an angle and so you can print things that are infinitely long as long as hmm. you kind of support them on the end um so it's a it's a unique take on 3d printing um i think a lot and this like, is something that you developed adam yes Very so cool. I, uh, I run Powerbelt 3D and kind of starting the 3D Print Authority podcast is another project that, uh, that I'm working on. That's pretty So, <laughs> thanks. Um, I like to think it gives me some credibility, right? Um, <laughs> in, uh, in this space. Um, going back to, to the Robo's equipment, um, especially in Houston, yep. um, are we talking like there's, there's a machine in a warehouse somewhere or is it a little bit more elaborate than that oh it's it's a it's a full-blown showroom you know certainly we need to fill it uh 
I, I did post some pictures, which I'll, I'll, I'll share with you as well. Um, okay. On a, a number of, of incoming units, but they're all they're, you know, they're all sold and, and shipping out as well. But we're getting uh, some new shipments in. Uh, so it's a full-blown showroom. It's a huge, high, high ceiling, uh, open, open uh, warehouse. Uh, I should say demo floor, essentially. Sure. Um, yeah, it's pretty impressive space. And and again, the machines are impressive. They're 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 enormous. Okay. Um, you know, I think I think uh, more than a ton and a half. I want to say like thirty-seven hundred pounds. Okay. Um, Let's see the external. Yeah, it's seventy six, fifty six, ninety three. Like they're 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 big. Okay. They're big what machines. The, what do the build volumes look like? So the Argo five hundred is our flagship, and okay. that's five hundred because it's five hundred millimeters cube. Okay. So about twenty by twenty by twenty. Gotcha. Uh, the three the Argo three fifty, three fifty three hundred fifty millimeters. Uh, but it's by three hundred by three hundred. So three fifty three hundred three hundred. Okay. The other, the middle of the road uh, production series, uh, more of the office production series, are the, is the extreme line. So those are more in the uh, two fifty range, two hundred fifty millimeters. Okay. Um. So, we've talked about machines, materials, kind of who Robos is is seeking to serve in those those industries. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned. Uh, a production network yeah um a lot of 3d printing companies also have 3d printing services that they run but this sounds kind of like a different take you know it's it it's similar um i i think the, the main reason why it's different is because again we're, we're not trying to be everything to everyone we know what our focus is um and we know that the market is is in need of parts right and so when we talk about the, the supply chain 4.0 dynamic, right, this distributed manufacturing network, uh, it, it's for that purpose. It's to put parts in people's hands when they need them. It's to empower service bureaus that might be existing service bureaus uh, to have, again, that, that extra echelon of material capabilities now okay. uh, that, that, you know, again, t- typically stop maybe at Ultim. We're going from Ultim and above, basically, right? Uh, and, and also our, our end users, too, to tap into the need that's around them. The point that we are really trying to drive home is to bring manufacturing closer to the point of use. Certainly the closest you can get is having a machine in-house. But right. if, if we have you know, strategic partners in certain areas that are close to where fulfillment needs to happen, that's good as well. You know, we're, we're really... I'm a big lean practitioner. You know, I, again, I come from the, the operations production background, the sales background as well. And this is, this is lean on a macro scale, you know, and, and, and I, I made that comment recently, so I'm plagiarizing myself a bit. But, <laughs> but it is, you know, when, when you think about lean methodology and you think about, you know, downtime, you know, the downtime acronym, you know, transportation is one of the biggest wastes, you know, and, and um, besides the, the physical waste, the time waste, you know, also the carbon emissions, you know, the, the, these are all things we all certainly learned this lesson in, in the fragility of, of the supply chain last year uh, that we're trying to mitigate. Um, another element of that waste is inventory, right? Having to inventory parts uh, in a physical capacity. Instead, we're, we're saying, no, it should be digital inventory. You don't need to pay to store it. You don't need to pay for retrieval um, production. It's, it's inventoried in a digital way. You print as you go, right? It's on demand. Um, you know, 
the the waiting aspect of it as well. You know, that's one of the biggest wastes that we saw last year too. Is and we're going to see it this year as well, where the supply chain is not going to recover as fast as all of us. So mm-hmm. the demand is going to out, outgrow the supply. And now, when when that happens, you're waiting. You're you're waiting for parts. You're waiting for you know, again, your, your existing supply chain, this brings that control back into your, into your life, right? Whether it's in your facility or close to it. So it's not a, it's not an incredibly unique concept as far as developing 3d parts fulfillment partners, but it is in our overall vision and our overall mission. And it certainly is predicated around that peak in carbon peak and carbon PA material, but not, not limited to that. Right. You hit on a lot of really good points that that I personally agree with in terms of redefining supply chain, being able to to make parts on demand. Um, How do you get some of those concepts across to people who aren't as familiar with them, who are used to having a mold made halfway around the world and having plastic parts shipped into them? Yeah. You know, that's one of the biggest barriers to technology adoption is change management, right? You know, um, I'm going to start first by saying our marketing team is outstanding. Okay. Um, really a big fan of our marketing team. And, and our application engineers as well, our, our, our technicians, our service techs, uh, customer success managers, everybody in, in the whole chain, they're all phenomenal. And, and the reason why I'm saying that as, as an answer is, the company culture is is based around those concepts, okay. not not generic concepts, but very specific concepts, right? Um, so that's ingrained in our messaging. You know, it, it, it's not it's not typical messaging. It's very specific. The white papers, you know, our, our marketing content, the webinars we do. It's based on material. It's based on supply chain. You know, so first, just getting the word out there, speaking in this language. You know, being thought leaders in this space is important to us. And again, our CEO, uh, his his passion is contagious when it comes to this type of thing. It's really it's really great to to spend time with him, hear hear him speak to people, and obviously you're you're hearing it from me as well. You know, I, I don't have a script, right? This is not something that you know is pre planned. We believe these things. You know, this is stuff that we we weave into all of our dialogue because we believe it, and 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 we 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 feel like we can truly help advanced manufacturing in this country and, and across the world, obviously. So that's one way is to have it as a constant message. The other is, uh, unfortunately, you have to experience the pain. You know, that, that's going to drive a lot of things. So it's on us. It's on the sales team and the sales methodology, again, not to just, you know, memorize tech specs, but to, to, to dig in and to really ask, you know, what, what challenges you experienced and, and really uncover that pain because, there's no doubt that it happened. Something happened mm-hmm. where there was there was a fault that you had no control over, and you you want you want control. Uh, we're here to, to let you know that you you actually can have control. You're not at the mercy of somebody else's mistakes. Um, so those are some some ways that we that we convey that message, and then monetizing Gosh. it. You know, listen at, at at the end of the day, getting agreement doesn't mean much unless you can quantify it and say hey okay you you agree you went through this how much did it cost you (laughs) Um, and it's tough it's a tough conversation it's not a it's not a 
you know, again, this is, this is why I, I always tell the line between different leadership styles, but you know, you're, you're, you're not intending to have a conversation. that's always going to be really bright and cheery. You know, you might be bringing up some bad memories and, and, but that's exactly how we make these messages real is what did, what have you gone through and what can we do to help you avoid going through that again? Do you want to be a guest on this podcast? If so, go to 3dprintauthority.com slash forms to apply. Thanks. Right. I think COVID really accelerated the distributed manufacturing trends that we were looking at, um, where pretty much every company, um, power belts included, experienced supply chain issues where shipments were delayed Parts were not available. Parts were too expensive. Um, places had shut down. And so I think 3D printing is in a really good position to prevent issues like that from happening in the future. I, I agree with that. I, I think, um, you know, if there's any silver lining for us, um, which I, I, I hate to even acknowledge any positive that, can, that could possibly come from sure. the, the last awful year we had, but, you know, th- the, the, the buzz around 3D printing has happened before, right? Um, and at one point, there was a, there was a, there was a B2C dynamic that, that, that was supposedly going to be something. And there was a huge bubble, and it and ended up bursting. And, you know, it, it almost diminished the value of, of true 3D printing, right? While all that was happening, you know, p- people that have been around 3D printing forever barely glanced over and then went back to work, right? <laughs> Versus COVID, you know, 3D printing really did help, really did help in a significant way and really brought to light the value of literally making what you can't get from China or wherever else right there in your office. And in this case, it's critical. You know, it's it's life saving. You know, it's PPE. It's stuff that, you know, now it's real. It's not, uh, you know, hobbyist type stuff. Now it's real. And so many people were involved and I have to give so many OEMs credit and folks like you and service bureaus and, and, you know, these, these different networks that exist now, everybody stepped up. This is one thing I can say with confidence. There's not anybody I know in added manufacturing that didn't step up and help. Um, it was really, really great to see. But while that was happening, I do feel like there was a genuine approach to, to truly help, but the residual effect was everyone kind of, kind of, paid attention to what was happening right all of a sudden a real need was was solved it was pretty exciting to see yeah we can build on that momentum i i agree um before we we wrap up um what is something outside of what you're doing at robos that you can kind of see um beyond some of the supply chain disruption that we've talked about um, a trend, a technology, something you want to see more of within the 3D printing space? Um, you know, I, I think I, I'm on two extreme ends of the spectrum here, Adam. On one end, a um, good friend of mine, EJ, is involved with a company uh, that, that, that does microfabrication. Okay. Um, I mean, these things, they, they, they print in, in such small, tiny little parts, it's almost not real. And it's so accurate and, and it's so fascinating to understand what could be, you know, down the line as far as the, the medical implications of, of things like that. 
And on the extreme other end, uh, concrete 3D printing, you know, really, okay. uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's something I, I, I started obviously catching wind of in my, in my past experience with construction architecture and thought, man, what a perfect combination and complement of those different um, worlds where you truly have, you know, you talk about, you know, printing at the point of use, you're printing a building where it's actually going to be. Um, I, I envision and can't wait for the time where, where, you know, I see a CSI code, which is, which is a construction specification code. Right now it exists for cast in place concrete and for um, uh, precast. I, I, I can't wait until there's, you know, 3D printed CSI codes out there where it's so ubiquitous in the construction world that you 3D print components. Um, I just think that that stuff's fascinating. And obviously that, you know, evolving into uh, space travel and, and 3D printing structures on, on the moon and on Mars, you know, that kind of stuff just fascinates me. Yeah, I, I agree. Those are two pretty, pretty far extremes yeah. in terms of, of trends to, to look at. Um, but I, I agree that both of them are really interesting. On the, on the small side of things, uh, in the microfabrication, 3D printing is usually regarded as pretty inaccurate by machining standards. Um, but when you get down to that scale, some of those concerns go away and things do become really accurate. Yep. Um, and when you look at concrete, a lot of the precast ones have just insane tooling costs where to, to make precast concrete forms where 3D printing can, can absolutely revolutionize that. Yeah. that space um even pre-printed so, components yeah and having more organic shapes and and e even without concrete but just using 3d printing in in construction which again we, we tapped on a bit there's a wonderful company out of tennessee that's doing this now they're they're building uh partition structures the actual structural part of the partitions before they're filled uh using robotic you know arms and and uh you know again extruded polymers and they're making these beautiful organic shapes, but they're just doing it in such an efficient way uh, on site, you know, on site with a track system. You know, it's really, really fascinating. Awesome. Um, Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, no, it was my pleasure. Finally, um, where can people learn more about you, learn more about Robos and what you guys are trying to accomplish? Yeah, I, I would invite everyone to visit robos.com, R-O-B-O-Z-E. Uh, you'll see a lot of great information there. We're all over LinkedIn as well, so please visit our page. Feel free to connect with me too. Um, you know, I will say, again, I'm looking for resellers out there. We're looking for 3D parts partners. Um, come on board. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen or watch my chat with Peter from Robos. Feel free to check out robos.com to learn more about what they have to offer in terms of industrial level 3D printing equipment. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to 3D Print Authority wherever you might be watching or listening to this podcast and visit 3dprintauthority.com to learn a little bit more about me and find the rest of the episodes of the podcast. Until next time, happy printing.